Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. I'm back. Yes, been gone for a couple weeks. Uh, Keely and Dan were holding down the uh, podcast fort, you could say, for the past couple of weeks. But we are back. We got Coach Harvey Hyde on the line. So we're going to get back to our regular schedule talking about the USC Trojans. And it's just in time because fall camp Starts up later this week, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Some of the big topics out of Pac-12 Media Day with the Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com, and get to know everything about what Coach Harvey Hyde says about this USC Trojan football team. He puts lots of information up there on his social media accounts and his website, so make sure you check that out. If you have any questions or comments for our show, just send them to us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is the email address, or if you'd rather call us, we got a voicemail for you today. You can send us a text. we got some of those, too. 424-254-9141 is the number. That's 424-254-9141. We'd also appreciate you, wherever you listen to the podcast, leave us some positive feedback. A five-star rating. Uh, we love that on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all of those things. Uh, just helps, you know, propagate the show to other USC Trojan fans. If you've got some friends that are USC fans, please let them know about our show. We've been doing this since 2008, which is crazy. If you heard a couple weeks ago, Keely and I were in studio. We had Matt Leiner on the show, the 1,000th episode, and Coach Harvey Hyde was there for the first. We are now over 1,000 episodes. Can you believe that, Coach? Well, welcome, and can you believe it? I cannot believe it. Uh, when you said that, and how many years we've been doing this podcast, it's unbelievable. And we and we haven't missed many weeks either, Ryan. We've been on just about every week unless you're gone or I'm gone or something. But it's been a, a lot of fun, and we hope we've been able to answer a lot of your questions and keep you up to date on our thoughts. And we want to thank all of you for uh, listening and sending in questions, and we're looking forward to another great year. Yeah, another great year covering the USC Trojans. We just keep rolling on, and uh, we've added shows over the years. It used to be kind of a once-a-week thing. We used to number every episode, but now there just got to be too many. But, uh, you know, we got our show with me and Car- Harvey Hyde. We'll do a recruiting one with Gerard uh, sometimes. We have Keely Ewer and Dan Weber on. That's been a regular addition, and they do their Family Feud podcast. And we'll try to do other ones, too, where we have – uh, different guests and everything. So make sure you go back and check out the archives. You can go to peristylepodcast.com too. We got a lot of information up there. Of course, our uh, Tunnel Vision shows on Wednesdays, our last Tunnel Vision show, we had Aaron Osmus in studio, and that was a lot of fun uh, hearing him talk about, you know, getting big, getting strong, and uh, just this really different, uh, it's just a whole different pace, it's just a different feel uh, talking to him about this strength and conditioning program. And so if you're optimistic as a USA fan, He's probably one of the big reasons why, uh, Graham Harrell and stuff too. But, man, it's just – that was uh, refreshing. I don't know if you got to see that one, Coach, but man, seeing uh, Aaron Osmus in studio and just kind of – you know, he would, like, give me little nudges. And he's this big, strong guy. I'm like, oh, that kind of hurts, bud. Uh, but just it was really cool to kind of see him talk about this, uh, you know, the strength and conditioning program. Well, I'm sure it was. I didn't have a chance to listen to it. I, I saw the promotions of it and so on, but I didn't have a chance to listen to it. But – I love to talk about it and uh, all the changes that have happened uh, regarding staff, offensive coordinator, strength and conditioning coach, all of the things that have happened on top of all the questions people have. Yeah, so let's uh, there's been some news and notes since we've uh, you know had the little hiatus. I was, you know, I know people on social media knew, but I was uh, traveling doing some golf coach over in Europe in the United Kingdom. I well, I was in Ireland and uh Flew into London, went to Ireland and Scotland and played eight different courses over there. Um, played the old course uh, at St. Andrews. That was so much fun. Uh, that was our final uh, round, and uh, it was that was great. But I kind of needed to, I guess, step away for a little while. Didn't have my laptop very much. It was really weird to be out of pocket for so long, for a couple of weeks. I haven't taken a vacation like that, I think, since I graduated from college. 
So, but now I feel refreshed. Well, maybe still a little jet lagged, coach, but I feel refreshed and, and ready to go. You, you ready to go with me? I'm ready to go. I'll tell you what, that's why I keep talking about as far as how you change your clock on when you practice and when you play. Now you see what I've been talking about, don't you, Ryan? Yeah, and that, well, that's a kind of interesting segue maybe. Uh, you know, we talk about that. There's some programs that will practice early in the morning, but you never play games early in the morning. Well, one of the things that came out of Pac-12 Media Day when you talk to Commissioner Larry Scott, them looking into potentially playing what on the West Coast would be, uh, at least for the, the California schools, Oregon, Arizona, you know, those schools, a 9 a.m. game. Um, the noon game, which is you know, East Coast game, what they call the noon game, uh, something you usually see on ESPN will have like, you know, Iowa or some, someone from the Big Ten a lot of the times playing that real early game. But you look at uh, what Fox is doing in their new pregame show. They're trying to compete with college game day. Matt Liner will be on the show. We talked, like I said, talked to him a couple weeks ago about that. Reggie Bush, Urban Meyer, um, all those guys are on that show. They want to make their early game the featured game. So they'll put Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson, their number one analyst team, and uh, Jenny Taft, I believe, with her, with them too. They'll put those three on the top game, and that would be uh, the 9 a.m. game on the West Coast or noon game on the East Coast. And, you know, I know John Wilner from uh, the, the San Jose Mercury News Group up there has fuller this out there. He thinks it's a good idea. John Canzano, who covers the Pac-12, thinks it's a terrible idea. I don't really like the idea, but that's something that Larry Scott is going to consider. If you want to be, you'll ne- the Pac-12 will essentially never be the number one game on Big Fox because they're always going to put that game on at noon and that would you know that wouldn't allow a Pac-12 team to be able to do that so occasionally Larry Scott said they could look at doing one of those on a Pac-12 campus so uh, I wanted to get your thought on that because like you said coach the the body clock thing is different you're not used to playing a full-on game uh, at 9 a.m. we've seen teams go east and you know like a Stanford I think had to play Maryland or I forget, maybe it was Northwest, yeah, Northwestern, uh, and it ended up being like 9 a.m. Pacific time. That's hard to get used to, but what are your thoughts on that, Coach? Well, first of all, uh, I think it's embarrassing to lower the standards of the Pac-12 to have to play a football game at 9 a.m. in the morning. Uh, first of all, the Pac-12's got a lot of pride in its football programs and so on, and depending on the football package that Larry Scott has signed, they should have primetime games with uh, not only their own station, if they were to get on a national type of scene and broadcast like it should be, and uh, with the package they put together with the other affiliates. I think that it's not right as far as for the fans. Hey, fans buy season tickets, okay? Uh, Student body buys uh, or gets or whatever they do direct from the uh, student bodies. Tickets to the football game, the bands, the parents. Uh, who? I mean, you're going to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to go and tailgate. You're going to buy season tickets when you don't know now when the games are going to be played because TV dictates everything from, from 11 to 12 to 1 to 2 to 7.30 p.m., like the first two games at the Coliseum for USC. I think it's ridiculous, I mean, to try to – Compete that type of way. Compete by having a great program. Compete by having great teams. And people will cover you nationally. I mean, ESPN and the rest of them will pick you up. It's the package they put together that isn't worth a damn. Or the Pac-12 network that doesn't get out and picked up everywhere where people can watch great matchups. Because when you have great matchups, people are going to watch the game anyway. So uh, I think you need East Coast exposure. Believe me, I do. I'm the first one to complain about the game times at 7.30 p.m. when it's 10.30 p.m. on the East Coast. But to change and have 9 o'clock games and 10 o'clock games and all of these different things and practice times and travel times and, and all these different things to keep track of when the football game is for the next week, I think it's ridiculous. And I think that they've got to get their act together as far as how best does it fit the conference, how can they change their package where they can't have primetime games and not inconvenient the, 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 the fans and 
and boosters who do so much to help the universities as far as donations and renovating up stadiums and all of that to come to the Coliseum for a 9 o'clock kickoff would seem ridiculous. I think it's already ridiculous that they play four uh, uh, Friday night games. I think it's ridiculous in the Coliseum, Utah, on a Friday night game, how hard it is to get to the Coliseum just on a regular day and do not make it a Friday night game in the Coliseum and make it a big game such as Utah. I think that's ridiculous too. So I think they need to get their schedule together and their computer tuned in where they say all the scheduling is done by computer where USC and UCLA are both on the road the same weekend, which is absolutely ridiculous. Or a USC has a bye and UCLA is on the road the same weekend or both of them are at home on the same weekend, almost at the same starting time, which is ridiculous. So I think that that computer thing is all a hoax. And what you got to do is start scheduling for what's best for the fans and your own television uh, network and national exposure. No, I agree with you, Coach. I just think it's a bad idea. I, I think if you were going to do it, it would have to be – it couldn't be the L.A. schools. You'd have to do it at like – uh, someplace where you'd still get a lot of fans. Uh, I mean, even maybe like at Oregon or Utah or something where I think people would still show up. Uh, I think John Wilner's point is that there's a lot of empty seats anyway, but this would make it even more empty seats. It really would just be only about television, nothing about the game experience. But I think Mike Leach had a really good point at Pac-12 Media Day saying that if you know for a 9 a.m. game, you're talking about preparation and people are up and doing stuff at like 4.35 in the morning. Um, so just, it would make it a lot tougher, even if you're, you know, if you're traveling East and you're playing on your time zone at 9am, which is pretty rare, but it happens sometimes. Um, I think it was Cal might've did that at Maryland or something. And then, uh, Stanford did it at Northwestern, but at least local time, it's still not, you know, it's, it's noon or whatever. It's you're, you're getting up at a regular hour, but to get up at like four or five in the morning to try to, you know, you're, you're doing meetings and getting ready for game day. Uh, I, I don't know. I, mean, I think it just seemed would throw a lot of things off. So that something I think they'll probably look at. I don't think it's ever going to come to fruition. And if it does, it'll probably be, you know, just a couple of campuses. I don't, I don't think you could do it at a USC or UCLA. Well, you know, it'll probably happen if he's thinking about it and he'll have, <laughs> he'll do it to try it. You know, you know, how he is uh, on different things. Uh, he's still learning on the job. It's amazing how many people they've hired to learn on the job. Uh, with no background experience as far as uh, as a commissioner. He becomes a commissioner of the Pac-12. Uh, no communication, I think, with anybody. And then uh, I think it all shows. He calls it the uh, Conference of uh, Champions, which it is. But it always has been, not just since he got there. Most of the championships have been, win- been win- winning-, winning for years in all the sports. So I don't think you can take credit for that. I think you've got to take credit for what we have now in our football programs and exposure and all the things that are necessary today to have the programs like the Southeastern Conference has, the ACC has, and sort of follow their pattern rather than try to develop and make one up. Yeah. Um, Well, there's some positive stuff that came out of Pac-12 Media Day from Larry Scott from the conference, but something that we expected and something I think that's going to be, you know, close to home for you, coach, uh, moving the Pac-12 championship game from Santa Clara, Levi Stadium, which is just terrible, <laughs> to um, Las Vegas, the new Raiders stadium. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's about time. Uh, when Tina, Tina Kunza Murphy was the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, I met with her. And at that time, that's when the North and South of the Pac-12 split up and they were going to have a championship game and they hadn't decided where it was going to be. So I met with her and she met with the Las Vegas events and we made a proposal to have the game in Las Vegas at that time. And I don't know how many years ago that had to be, maybe eight, ten years ago. I'm not sure how long it's been. And it came down to three uh, cities, Ryan. It came down to where they're playing it, San Diego and Las Vegas. And we lost out to the uh, San Francisco area game as where they built the conference offices. And that hasn't really worked out or panned out that much if you look at the financial statements and the cost of living there and all the studios they built. 
And uh, they've continued to have poor crowds there, no matter what they say and so on. But the night before, and I don't know exactly what happened, it leaked out before media day that the Pac-12 championship games were going to be announced at media day, as in the Los Angeles, you know, uh, new stadium for the Rams and Chargers. Something had to come down, and I don't know, I'm just interjecting my thoughts that they did then decide to go to Las Vegas. And I think it's the smartest thing they could have ever done. They already tried the Los Angeles scenes with the basketball tournament, Staples, and that was a complete bust. So they moved the Pac-12 basketball tournament to Vegas, and it's been very successful. And now with the football playoff game for the championship game in Las Vegas, how can it be any better? It's in the month of July or December where you get great rates. It's a a city that knows how to produce special events. It's in the hub, and there's no home team or team that has played there. And it gives an opportunity for the Arizona schools, the Utah, Colorado, Washington, Oregon schools, Southern California, Central California schools, all the fans that come to an area and watch a great football game and have other things to do that are in a town that knows how to stage an event. So I think it's the smartest thing they ever did. Plus, the local people in Las Vegas will really support this, too. But for them, it's like a major bowl game, major bowl game, to see two great teams from the Pac-12 play there. So they'll get great attendance in a great stadium with great support and special events to go around it. So I think finally they got it. They figured out they don't need to have it in Southern California or San Francisco. They need to have it where, you know, if somebody had traveled to Southern California to watch their team play during the regular year, they don't want to go back if they played SC or UCLA. But nobody in the Pac-12 plays in Las Vegas. So you're going to get people to come there to watch their team or other teams play for the Pac-12 championships Plus, you're going to get the local people to support the game. So it's a no-brainer, and this should have been going on for the last 10 or 8 years or whatever. No, I agree with you, Coach. Uh, Yeah, I didn't realize Las Vegas did make a pitch back then, but just just the wrong decision by far. It was a disaster up there. It's going to be great in Las Vegas. The basketball stuff is great. Uh, It was way better than Staples. It is way better than Staples, so uh, I think it's, it's a great move. And I think Wilner has a good point. You make that weekend uh, like a destination weekend. You put like a basketball doubleheader in Vegas that weekend or something for the Pac-12. I think there's a lot of good things uh, that can come from that. So good, good, you know, good on the Pac-12 for doing it. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Uh, it was years too late, but it's happening now. So uh, I guess that's where we're going. But I, I, I'm excited. I think that's going to be a well, fun, fun trip. I, I'm excited too. What do they pay this guy a year? Three, four million a year to decide that? It was a five. That was million. really five million. Coach. Oh, five mil. Yes, that's a that's a hell of a big season, uh, uh, you know decision for that. I wonder yeah. how many meetings they had to have. Yeah, probably lots. Um, there were some other USC news I wanted to uh, bring up. So this is something we've kind of anticipated for a while since we never would see him around, but it's finally official. Uh, and Clay Helton made a few comments at Pac-12 Media Day about it, but. Um, Daniel Matorbebe, the uh, tight end, is no longer uh, on the roster. He's finishing up his master's degree, can still play. Um, and, you know, from from what Clay Helton was saying, it sounds like he'll be playing somewhere else. <laughs> That's not not USC. But uh, it, we anticipated this, Coach, when you just don't see him. You know, he's around, but he's not ever practicing. Uh, we put some stuff in the war room about this. If you want to go check out uscfootball.com. Uh, if you're a subscriber, if not, get in there and subscribe because it's a it's a great value, and I think you'll find a lot of in, you know, interesting and uh, valid information about the USC football team. But we do we put a war room post together every Friday morning with a lot of insider tidbits, and this was one of them in there. But we'll get your thoughts on that, Coach uh, Daniel Matarbebe, not being on the team anymore. Well, I think you've uh, got to have some common sense to figure things out. I'm not going to say what I think on the air. I'll tell you off the air. But I think it's uh, something that uh, that uh, is, uh, say, uh, private. 
and uh, something that they've worked out. And they certainly have done an excellent job, the athletic department and the football program, in taking care of this kid and making sure he gets his degree and now a master's degree. And the academic side of his decision to come to, to USC has really worked out fabulous. But as far as the athletic side, I really don't know what happened with him and his brother uh, in that type of situation. I do have an idea, but I don't want to discuss it, okay? Okay. That's fine with me. How's that hit you? It's the first time I've never wanted to discuss anything. I can, I can be that way, too. Yeah, every once in a while, Coach. Um, that's the old days. See, that's the old days when you used to be, and I used to be uh, sitting up there, and you guys would say, well, Coach, and I like the way you call me Coach. You know, I'm going to tell you, Ryan. Really? I like the way you call me Coach. That's a, a, a way of respect, and don't get me wrong, and, and I have the respect, too. I call Coach Helton Coach, and he calls me Coach. And and uh, I maybe I don't want to get into that too, but I think a part of respect from players, media, and everything, and you talk about a football program itself. I don't think that at no at at uh, Alabama people come up and say, Nick, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think it's coach. And in a lot of the interviews I see and media day and so on, it's hey Clay. And uh, I just don't, you know, this is me. You asked me to tell you my opinion. I, I think there should be all due respects to who he is. And he's Coach Clay Helton. Now, I can call him Clay because we're on the same equal type of, you know, uh, of uh, being there. But I really, it really bothers me when I'm not just saying the media. I'm saying other people when they discuss about Clay I think there should be a level of respect of who he is. He's a head football coach at USC. And obviously, when I hear players call him Clay, I mean, if one of my players ever called me Harvey, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what I'd do, okay? So don't ask me. But are you kidding me? I think that, you know, the way they talk about Clay's good, we're much tougher. Clay's really, I mean, please, guys, there's a level of respect there that you must show to certain people, whether you want to or not, of who this individual is and how you respect him uh, to a point of level of, of who he is and how he lead you, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I think that, I think just think that, you know, that's the way it's gotta be. They're not equal to Clay Helton or coach Clay Helton. They're not. No, I, I get that with players. I think there's, you know, I've in the media, it's a little bit different. I think some people are like, is it saying coach, is that too familiar? Uh, I do think it's, you know, as a sign of respect, but when you're talking to them, I, you know, it can be very, I see different members of the media that I respect do different things. So, uh, but I didn't realize that was a sign of respect for you, coach. I wouldn't call you that anymore if that's what I was, you know, if that's what I was trying to. No, of course I respect you, coach. We appreciate hey, you. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, you have never called me Harvey. I you know. have never, <laughs> never, because I tell you the same thing. What'd you say? <laughs> and we're as good of friends as they can be. You yeah. know that we I, really are. And it's fun, coach. I but love, it's a point of. Yeah. It's a point, you know, it's a point of me sticking up for coach. It really is. You know, you hear me sometimes, uh, I can be hard on people, but I can also be fair on people. And that's all I want to be is tell you the truth about situations. And, and I really do think that's something that all due respect to who coach Clay Helton is that we consider that and pass it on to all your colleagues. Okay. All right. The colleagues that listen to this, pass it on. Now you don't have to do it. <laughs> but when I hear you doing that, I don't like it. Okay. All right, coach. Um, and yeah, you know, we're, we're just, uh, to put a bow on that last topic. Well, we wish uh, Daniel Matarbebe, uh, very well, uh, wherever he ends up, uh, great kid and, uh, super talent. If you remember that Washington game, USC goes on the road, and plays Washington, Sam Donald, uh, Daniel Matarbebe was a big part uh, of that game when USC won on the road up there against a top five Washington team. So, uh, I think he certainly will be missed, but it, it was just sort of in limbo for so long. Something had to give uh, there, and now it has. Um, also, Coach, one of the things that came out, it was like a Friday news dump. I think I was in Ireland at the time, uh, or maybe I don't remember if it was right before I left for my trip. It was something. It was, it was like a Friday afternoon news dump. USC announced that they would be 
uh, playing an FCS program for the first time. Uh, so UC Davis is on the schedule for the 2021 football season. We got a lot of people that are like outraged about it. Uh, I think it's a terrible idea. I don't think they did enough to try to avoid doing that. Um, it just seemed like the, the simplest path was taken. Um, but there's some fans that are like, you know, I don't really care. Uh, but it's just what to me, coach, it's just one of those things, college football, you know, baseball, there's, there's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of history and there's certain feathers that you have in your cap. If it's the number of Heisman's you've won or national championships or guys put in the NFL draft or, you know, going to the most Rose Bowls, winning the most Rose Bowls. There's a lot of things that even when USC has a five and seven season, Trojan fans can feel proud of something. It's just something that they can hang their hat on. And then to lose one of those things and lose it basically to your two arch rivals, Notre Dame and UCLA, not, you know, you're the first one to say, you know, to blink and play an FCS squad to me, coach, I just think with all the incompetence we've seen around the program, you can't tell me that they've done everything in their power to avoid doing that. It was sort of like, yeah, we'd like to not play one, but it's not really a super priority for us, which I think is a mistake. Um, so that's just my thoughts on it, coach. What are yours on uh, playing UC Davis and potentially other FCS schools down the road? Well, I have uh, different opinions, probably different opinions than what a lot of others have, but as a football coach, I'm talking about a football coach, I wouldn't want to play them the opening game in the year because my off-season wouldn't be one where my my players got excited about it. I think, uh, you know, when you have a big opening game of the year, I think uh, it's great to have an off-season. It's great for your coaches, recruiting, the fan base, everything. And the challenges of getting ready for a big game. So I wouldn't want it the opening game of the year. I don't know when the game is being played. I'm just giving you my opinion. I think it's week two. During, it's week two or week, week three. Two? Yeah, I think it's week two, though. All right, week two. Uh, to have a game like that during the regular season, I would look forward to it because it's a way of getting a W. It's like a scrimmage. If I'm better than you are. I'm going to be able to go out there. I'm going to be able to play hard. I'm going to be able to uh, not get emotionally too high where I can get ready for the next week. And if we do our job, we're going to get a W and that's going to really help us. So I would say good. Plus the guarantee is going to be a smaller guarantee. I hear the guarantee is somewhere around 750,000, which is below normally what you have to give a San Jose or UNLV or Nevada, about 1.3 million. So UC Davis will be real happy with that. And then also the third uh, question I have, I know Steve Lopes does the scheduling for the football program. Sometimes it is very difficult to find a date that you have open to find a date with someone else that they have open to get that final game in your schedule. Now, when you look at USC, they don't do it, but just one time. Now this time they still play Notre Dame and I'm not sure who else they play that year, but they'll have an Alabama or they'll have somebody in there to make their schedule very strong, very appeasing to people. And, uh, what it will hurt if anything is the crowd interest as far as the USC fans, as far as coming to the game and the television exposure, because it will not be a national televised game. So you have some uh, ill effects to playing that type of game, but sometimes it's basically impossible. In fact, you even try to buy out people. You say, okay, we'll buy you out of that game so we can play this team. We'll pay you that guarantee and, and, and make this happen because you got to have that game schedule filled. And I'm sure if you talk with Steve Lopes on this, it's exactly what I'm talking about. It's not that he wanted to play him. It's just he had no choice. And down the road, if there's some conference changes or if something changes, they can always get out of that game. There's a clause, I am sure, in the contract that says that we can buy you out of that game if we can replace you with someone that's more comparable to who we want to play. So before everybody jumps to all of these conclusions, you've got to understand the huge uh, 
problem of scheduling and the purpose of scheduling, the pluses and minuses of it. But as far as it being an opening game, I'm glad it's not because it's very difficult to work during your off season for that. Now, they won't have to worry about that USC because they open with Alabama next year, okay? So you're going to have a good thing to think about as far as getting ready for it. So, you know, that's the main problem I see with it. But again, you have to understand, too, how hard it is to schedule today. Yeah. We had a question about this from uh, Curtis in Moreno Valley. I'm going to play it for you, and then we'll get your thoughts. Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. I believe Clay Hilton is starting to improve by learning. He's copying what other coaches are doing out there. He, we hired a crazy strength coach just like some of the best programs have a crazy strength coach, and our kids are going to play crazy now. And the schedule. We're getting heat for taking this uh, non-usual uh, opponent, UC Davis, but Alabama gets away with New Mexico State on their second game at home. Then, uh, who is this? USM, whoever that is, on the fourth game of the season. And then, right before the last game of the season, Alabama is, before they play Auburn, they're going to play a game against, what is this team called? Western Carolina. Just imagine. SC could blow out all three of those teams. And nobody should say anything. We play Notre Dame. That's a tough enough uh, out-of-conference schedule. We should put cupcakes on all the rest of them, just like Alabama. All it's about is being close to undefeated and taking your conference. You don't worry about who you play. Just beat them. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Real quick, Coach, uh, for Curtis there, uh, I think – Alabama plays someone tough every year. Now, they don't usually do a home-and-home. They'll do a neutral site game. But, you know, like Coach said, they play USC uh, coming up. They've had a lot. You know, they've played Penn State. they played all these teams um, that are power teams that they play every year. And then they play in the SEC. And I would say that's – if you, what USC is trying to do is looking towards what what the SEC did in, like, the BCS era. And that's changing now. You're seeing most of these schools now go out and try to schedule tough home and home games because they're shifting. They were killing it by scheduling those crappy games, but they know that attendance, even in the SEC, hasn't been good. They need to make sure these games are are powerful. So you see Georgia and Notre Dame playing. You're seeing teams that traditionally weren't doing things like that doing it now. So my argument would be USC going to what the FCS is doing is sort of like seeing what worked 10 years ago and trying to copy that where everyone points to the SEC. They're changing the way they do things. They're trying to schedule more of those. Now everyone is coming out with these great home and home schedules. You saw it was released like a month or so before USC announced they're playing an FCS school and USC is going in the other direction. So that, that would be my argument against that, but get your thoughts on it, coach. Well, you know, the other teams they played are scheduled, Nevada, San Jose State, and some of these others are not, they're the same as the mid, mid, you know, mid, mid, uh, what, what do they call it? Mid- yeah, FCS. Yeah. yeah. They're mid-majors. Yeah. They, yeah I mean, mid-majors from FBS. Yeah. But yeah, you could argue that, that UC Davis is a better team than some of the lower level FBS schools from the group of five, but it's the perception of, They've never done this. They've never had to play an FCS school. I think that's something you need to put value on, not just look at, well, UC Davis is a pretty good program and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, I get all that. But it's, you know, if it's some sort of record, like if you're coaching UNLV and you had never like, uh, like been down at halftime to Nevada, does that really matter in the long, you know, you want to win the game, but that would be something you would probably take in the meeting room. Like, look, we've never been down to Nevada at halftime. I don't care if we win by a hundred, we are not going to be down to Nevada at halftime. So I think it's just one of those things coach that in the grand scheme of things, does it really mean something? Do you get a trophy for it? No, but I think it's something that you could, it, it, there's value there and then there's value to the fans. And it's just one more thing that's deteriorating in their mind of this USC football program. 
Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I commented on that earlier as far as, you know, well, maybe there's a difficulty in getting a game and they want to, and, and who knows, there might be a buyout. I think everybody's making too much about this. Uh, wasn't a couple of years ago UC Davis played Stanford and beat them? I mean, people forget a lot of the, the things and the upsets that happen. And you're right, UC Davis uh, at times are good enough to beat those other schools that Curtis just mentioned, or you just mentioned. I, I really do believe that. But again, uh, no, I'm not saying it's great that you play those type of people, but sometimes it happens because you can't find a game to fit that date, and uh, maybe they'll get out of that game. Who knows? But the point is they've got somebody in that place now. And, you know, Curtis also mentioned as far as having a new strength coach that uh, he called him a little craze and all this and that and, and, and this and that. I think what's happening and why – uh, Coach Helton has been talking so much about Graham Harrell and the strength coach and so on. And uh, nothing against anybody else who has coached there before, but I've got to tell you the truth because when we discuss these things, it's because of what I see and answer your question is he's never been around someone that knows what the hell they're doing. I mean, when you look at... Uh, some of the coordinators he's had in the past, I mean, he's not, they were never a coordinator before. Clay was never a head coach before. So when someone comes in with a package, with a series, and knows when you they do this, we do that, and you always used to hear me say they never had a series, and I used to call their offense 31 flavors, uh, one of everything. I think Coach is impressed, and the media is impressed, and the people who watch practice are impressed, and they're impressed with his interviews, Graham Harrell, because he knows what he's talking about, because this is his offense. He's developed it. He's coached it. He's not a first-time baby. And a lot of times when you have first-time guys, they really don't know what their philosophy is or what they believe in. And here they are at USC coaching. So I think that uh, when you hear all these reports about Graham Harrell and how great it looks and the strength coach and how he's bringing toughness and all these different things is because coach hasn't really been acquainted with that type because he's had his brother there. Nothing against his brother, but family people, his dad's like his uncle coaching the offensive line. I mean, nothing against these guys, but it's been a family affair. It hasn't been like something where You've heard me say USC to coach at USC. That's an honor in my my way of looking at USC as a football program, like Alabama, Notre Dame, whatever. I look at them as that type of program. Okay, right now they're a sleeping giant. Don't wake it up. But if you wake that giant up, you better look out. Okay, and that's what everybody right now is scared to death of of USC waking up. Yeah. Because every player in America, I want you to know, still remembers USC, the name USC, okay? So uh, this is the way I look at that. So I think a lot of play has been given by the media and the services about these people. The conversations, mostly the entire offseason and this summer, has been about the strength and conditioning program and the offense because they've never been around somebody that somehow – is trying to do something correctly or has a philosophy in what his offense is. He's not trying to put one together. So I think, Ryan, in in expressing myself, I'm trying to tell you, I think that's why the media and what's going on is so much involved in those two conversations. It, to me, there was the level of incompetence. I mean, for, for a 5-7 and seven team to have, you know, be picked second, uh, and to have there's there's a lot of optimism there, and I think it's real optimism. I think this team can do some really good things and go from five wins to eight, nine, ten wins fairly easily. But that to me just shows, coach, how bad things were last year that they never should have been close to five and seven uh, with just you know a few changes, just putting some more competent people in place. You can make that big of a turnaround because it wasn't about the talent. It wasn't like. You don't have the horses. I think like uh, Mel Tucker's going to do a really good job at at Colorado. Uh, I like Steven Montez, but I'm not sure. You know, LaVisca Chenault may be the best player in the conference. But, you know, just overall, it's probably going to take him a little while. For USC, you can make a few coordinator changes and completely turn your, you know, go from a five-win team to ten. Um, that just tells me your five-win team 
your level of incompetence was so high that it's just, it's almost unforgivable. But that's kind of the position USC's in. And I know there's some USC fans that don't think there's any way they can turn this around. They absolutely can because the talent is there and you've made some good choices and you don't have as many family members around and things like that. Some people that are good at their job and now you let them do their jobs and I think this team can get a lot better. Well, everybody certainly hopes so. I know the recruits are waiting for that. Obviously, the recruits and the commits and the people that they are recruiting are uh, standoffish. No one is really uh, committed recently and this recruiting class is one that is waiting to see what happens too at the same time. it's all Everything is affected. When you look at what happens in the conversations that's going on and so on, everybody's waiting to see what happens. And as I said, it's a sleeping giant. It always has been. And if you can wake this giant up, all of a sudden things change in a hurry. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. I still haven't bought in like I told you on all the things. I'm still actually waiting to see what they look like in a yeah. full Fred, uh, you know, scrimmage like the 17th and how they open up against Fresno State, which, you know, they're a 10-point favorite. Fresno State only has back two players on offense and eight on defense, so 10 starters. But Tedford does such a great job of coaching. They've got to be ready to play. Yeah. And then Stanford, of course, uh, that's a big rivalry with them, and that'll always be a tough game because those guys really come ready to play and they're coached well and in the Coliseum, it's been a battle for years, so I look forward to that game along with the rest of the games. But, but I'm willing to give everybody a chance and evaluate it all. And I know that Coach uh, Clayton is talking about how excited he is with the offense as far as the passing game and him being able to rush. But remember, you have one less rusher in the quarterbacks at USC. JT Daniels is not going to be a rusher if he's the starter, and that's going to put a different limitation on your offense that he had at North Texas State. And uh, we've talked about Jack Sears in the spring. We'll talk about that more in the fall when we watch that practices. So we'll see what happens. It's a different type of matchups, too. They have big receiver matchups against uh, not the speed type of burner guys. So we'll see how they take advantage on those type of matchups, which I'm sure Graham Harrell will know how to do. Uh, so we'll just see what happens. Uh, main thing, too, no one's talking about the defense much. And I think they've got to, too, they talk about simplifying things. I think they have players, it's just putting them in the right position and making no mistakes as far as containing and missed tackles and pass interference penalties and all of the above, beating yourself. So I'm looking forward to seeing this season roll around. I think everybody is, and I uh, can't wait to watch it. Coach, uh, Curtis mentioned, and you talked about Aaron Osmus too. When I was chatting with him at our, on our television show, make sure you go check that out. It's on YouTube and Facebook, and it's up on usafootball.com. If you missed it, uh, it was a really good interview, but he was great. Not that I did a good job. He was great. Um, but one of the things I got the impression of, he's definitely an old school kind of guy, like eating steaks, lifting, he- you know, eating thick and lifting heavy, like as a philosophy. Um, you know, he's not, about, you know, blending your food into, he's like, cook a steak, eat it, lift huge amounts of weight, squat, you know, big squats, bend the bar. Um, and when he talked about the conditioning side, it was sort of like, yeah, they run too. Um, so there wasn't really a whole lot of focus on the conditioning part. I mean, they do stuff obviously, but really he's trying to make these guys stronger and tougher and the entire time. And everyone has a different philosophy of how you want to do things. But just to me, coach, it felt like, this is more of a Harvey Hyde kind of approach. Like I felt like that's the way you wanted to see things done. I, was I wrong on that? No, you're not wrong at all. You're right. In fact, we wouldn't cook our steaks, okay? Yeah. We would tell them they got to eat them raw. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I, we want a steak. Uh, the steaks were fine, but you'd have to eat them the way they are. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what we did. That's the way we trained and as you came there as a little baby, when you're a freshman, you saw that type of attitude and you adjusted to that type of attitude and you played at that uh, competitive level in everything you did. I mean, if you were in the ballet room learning how to dance and gain balance, you did that better than anybody else. And I think this is uh, exactly what you need as far as you've heard me talk about the offensive line as far as uh, the type of guys they should be as far as getting a little bit more angry and getting a little bit more, you know, upset at certain things and 
uh, finishing blocks and not being, I mean, I used to say this, and excuse me when I say this, but, you know, the players that played in the trenches are the guys I want to be in the foxholes with, okay? Or the guys when I walk down an alley at night, wherever that alley is, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I'm not worried about it. And I think this is the type of attitude you have to have as far as being a great football coach or football program. Don't worry about it. Let's take this street. Turn right here. We don't care what's there. And uh, you you start with that when the, when the egg is hatched, okay? And it comes along. Now, right now, trying to implement this right now at this time is a little bit more difficult because a lot of these returning players, this is something new to them. It isn't like the first time they stepped on campus. They said, oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay, I better adjust or die. Adapt or die because someone's going to step on me like an ant. And all of a sudden, uh, this is what happened. So I think it's good. And I think you've got to be able to it'll take time. And uh, I think it'll be good. Uh, Coach, one of the other newsy items, or not really newsy, but this is for affects us. Um, it's kind of the end of an era. And we've seen this happen like when Lane Kiffin was struggling right before he got fired. He closed practices. Uh, but practices during the season are going to be closed now. We'll be able to go for the first, like, 20, 30 minutes, um, which, you know, a lot of programs close practices altogether. And the ones that are open, typical, you're, you're going those kind of, uh, you know, that kind of time. Uh, but, you know, for USC and L.A., it's t- traditionally been open practices with the media there all the time, being able to observe what's going on. Uh, that's changing, at least for now. You know, if <laughs> who knows? This happened I'm not saying this is the end of the Clay Helton era. I mean, we have no idea. They could have a huge season. Like I said, I, you know, they could win 10 games and things keep going. But at the end of the Lane Kiffin era, he kind of closed things down. And it seemed like more of like kind of a desperation sort of thing. I'm not saying this has that same feel to it. But there was obviously a lot of criticism when you have your first losing season in about two decades. Um, what did you get your thoughts, Coach, on the decision to uh, close practices to the media going forward? Well, uh, when I have always coached, the fall portion of our camp, I would keep open. Why? There's no surprises or game planning that's going on, and you want to have good practices. Players are tired, and it's a terrible time of year as far as camp. It goes on and on and on, and you hit the same color every day, and you want to have a lot of momentum, a lot of emotion out there. So I used to keep it open, okay? But then when we got into game planning and when we got into what you call classroom atmosphere, both on and off the field, I didn't want any distractions, okay? We would allow the media to come in when we stretched and we do the different things. And then again, if if they could leave or they didn't have to come there, they could come at the end of practice and our sports information director would have, uh, you know, a press conference or whatever you want to call it with the head coach and also an injury report. I didn't hide injury reports, okay? You're going to figure it out anyway. And uh, and do your interviews. Uh, I always felt like this. Uh, when you teach a class, you don't have people observing the class or walking around or distracting from what I'm trying to teach somebody. And I also think it's a more serious practice when people see, the players see, that there's nobody there. This is what we're doing. It's a secret we're going to do it on Saturday. We change things. We tweak things. We give formations. We do different things. And we get it done. Now, the final day of the week, whether it's a, a Friday, we don't do anything. So, again, I didn't mind entertaining the television crew that was going to, you know, come in and broadcast a game or radio crew or whatever. It's a looser type of practice, and we're not going to do any real game planning. We're just – we practice now. Don't get me wrong. We were in – shoes and game uniforms with no, no, we didn't, we didn't put game uniforms on. We just put uh, t-shirts and helmets on. I like to always loosen them up and, you know, get, get them more relaxed and get them familiar with the stadium and the turf and so on. Maybe we were out there maybe 40 minutes. Uh, then we could do a little media, but after that I shut it down. So during the week when we game planned and so on, I wanted it to be like, Hey, man, this is the discovery of the atomic bomb. 
what we're doing today. We're mad chemists. We're putting together what we're going to explode on Saturday with. Whether there was a lot of changes or not, I wanted that type of feeling. So I understand what he's doing, and uh, I appreciate him opening the practices like he's done all the time. It makes it a lot more difficult for media people to get the uh, stories and the things they need to get out there. But uh, again, you know that during the year I never go to practice because by that time I have my own philosophy and watching the uh, first games or two and uh, also uh, seeing the camps and the scrimmages and so on. I can talk about it and watch games, and I can talk about it. So uh, I think it's okay. Now, I know a lot of the services don't think it's okay. The media don't think it's okay, because it limits you on how much material you can gain for all of the listeners or uh, articles you can write. But uh, that's how I feel on that, and, uh, and that's the way I would do it again. All right, Coach. Uh, we have a couple more things before we... Uh let you go. Uh, what we did get a text. I should have brought this up earlier. We were talking about moving the uh, Pac-12 championship game, but from Robert in Athens, Greece, he said the powers that be, uh, being the geniuses they are, uh, do you or any of you guys happen to know if they're moving the Pac-12 championship game from Friday to Saturday once it's moved to Las Vegas? If it remains on a Friday, will any problems actually be solved? Thanks very much. Fight on, Robert in Greece, class of 2000. That's a good question. I really don't know. I think they did it on Friday to try to get more television ratings because they didn't want to go against the other conferences. But who knows? I really don't know. I think it's still going to be Friday. Uh, I didn't see anything that that would change. It's really just more about the atmosphere would be a lot better. So um, for, for television, I don't think anything's changing television wise. They still, they were doing it every other year and I think they do it every year now. It just works out better. But um, cause you know, it's a, it's not going to compete against other games. So I don't think, uh, Robert, I don't think that's changing, but I didn't see specifically, I, someone might've asked a question. I missed it if they did. No, I don't think that, I don't even think they discussed it. I really don't. I don't think anybody thought about it, but Robert and Greece. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, you're, you're ahead of us and it's good thought. I'd like to see it on Saturday personally. Uh, I don't think we take second fiddle to anybody in the pac 12. Okay. And being out of Vegas, I think it's going to be uh, could be a prime time type of game. Uh, the Las Vegas Bowl is a prime type of game at 12:30 on ABC, uh, December 21st, because it's Las Vegas. So I think the the name Las Vegas itself in a new stadium, uh, that game can be moved to a Saturday night and or Saturday afternoon or whatever. And I think it deserves it. The conference deserves it. They shouldn't have to play on a Friday night. I, I think whenever you do those type of things, you're you're saying we're not who the other people are. I don't like that at all. Uh, all right. Well, one last thing for you, Coach. Um, Coach Clay Helton, uh, one of the buzzwords we've heard in the spring and in Pac-12 Media Day is about accountability. And I think I, I think the entire team, everyone you talk to, they know that they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt because of five and seven. I don't, I think they're ready to move on, but they also know that people aren't ready to move on until they show them that they're not going to be doing, you know, the things that made them five and seven again. Uh, they can't really talk about it much more. They have to just kind of show you that. And I think that makes sense. Um, but from what we've seen from Clay Helton, you know, talking about the accountability, that some of the changes, you know, getting rid of uh, Neil Calloway, who's basically his uncle, um, and some of the moves he's made, talking about having to compete for jobs every week, uh, basically saying, hey, we're not going to let a Toa Lobendon situation happen again, where he's not going to be the love of my life, and I'll just let him keep snapping, even though, you know, poor JT Daniels has to look and try to find the football every time the ball is snapped. Um to me, it seems like there's a lot of changes to some of his basic like philosophies and his almost his personality. Uh, you know, yelling at players like a uh, Michael Pittman came out of Pac-12 Media talking about he felt proud of Clay Helton for like calling him out and yelling at him. Um, so to me, coach, it seems like there's a lot of changes that are made. That and I, I think changes needed to be made. But in the in the as a core as a coach, 
how much change can you really make? I mean, you want to tweak yourself every time, but this seems like a pretty big shift from what we've seen the Clay Helton the first few years to what we're seeing, at least what he's talking about, what we're going to be seeing now. Yeah, it's, you know, Coach Clay Helton is still Coach Clay Helton. Players know that. And uh, you've got to be yourself and do it your way, and you can't be phony. Uh, Players know when you're phony. People know when you're phony and it's not yourself. Uh, there's times when you should raise your voice and uh, be heard, not only to players, but to anybody, uh, in a way where you have that authority. You don't say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Uh, People learn that from who you are. Uh, It's called respectability. For when you say something, they know you mean it. It isn't like you say something and they do it anyway. I've talked about that in the uniforms. I've talked about that in the practice. I've talked about that. For how many years have I been talking about the things that are now coming up and being discussed more and more and these changes have been made? Uh, It's a shame that it took so long for some of these things to be recognized. And uh, I think that uh, if you're going to be a leader... Uh, you've got to be respected so that when you do say something, people pay attention to it, and uh, they deserve to be yelled at if they don't pay attention to it because they know that you they've been told. Now, if you don't tell somebody, they don't know the rules and regulations, but once you tell them what they are, then if they get out of line and it's not what they're supposed to do, then, you know, they deserve to have, hey, what do you think you're doing? Or I've told you not to do that before. Or I've told you not to wear pink socks or pink cleats. This is the colors we have here at USC, and I want you to respect our colors, and this is what we wear. Little things add up. And uh, when you allow people to get away with things, it's, uh, you've always heard me use that term, termites. Termites can destroy everything, eat it away, unless you stay in control of what's going on. You need to fumigate once in a while, okay? And I think that uh, coaches learn this, and sometimes he's learned it the hard way. But I think now uh, he's hoping that the new image of him and the new structure of the football program is what should have been there a long time ago. And I think that uh, it starts, I'll be looking at the uniforms as soon as I get there to see if it's my type of uniform or my type of socks or my type of T-shirt or whatever, or it's what the team dress is, okay? These are the little things that show me if it's a team or a bunch of individuals running around out there. So, you know, times have changed. I know that. But watch a, watch a Penn State team. Watch an Alabama team practice or watch a, a Clemson team play or practice. They're all in the same gear. They all look the same. The coaches are in the same shirts. Coaches are in the same pants. Same hats, same everything. It's all Crimson Tide. It's all Tiger or whatever it is. And at USC, it should be all Trojans, everybody. And you're willing to put uh, your life on the line if necessary to win a football game, and I'm not expecting that to happen. But it's a thought that you have in your mind when you come out of the huddle or when you take the field of pride that – if there's a piece of tape laying on the practice field, you don't run by it. You pick it up, whether you're a coach, a manager, a player, whatever, and you throw it in a trash can, because that's our yard. That's our property, and we want it to be better than anybody's else. I think that that's the best way to explain that. And, uh, you know, you, you, it's, uh, everybody's got their own way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's got to develop what his philosophy is and I hope it's not too late, but he's got to be himself. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see, uh, you know, there are too many changes and changes need to be made. Can he really get away from his core, you know, coaching personality? Uh, we'll definitely see, but there's been a lot of changes. So and I think ones that have been positive that they needed to make. All right. Well, that is the coach Harvey Hyde. Um, fall camp starting up, uh, this weekend. Was it Friday? What? I don't even, I don't even got my days right here. Uh, yeah, Friday the second. So uh, we back out. I'll be practice. there. I'll see you there. Yeah, we'll I'll see be you. there Friday and Saturday. I'm going to be there. It's going to be warm, which is normal uh, for this time of year. And like I used to say when we practiced in Vegas, 
Somewhere else in the world, it's hotter than it is here. Yeah. Let's use it as an advantage. It's going to be hot in Fresno. So Fresno will be used to the heat. We got to get used to the heat, even though it's a night game. And, and Ryan, I, I'm going to tell you, I hope that they have an opportunity to practice in the Coliseum after the 17th, close practices uh, at least twice before each game to get used to being in the, uh, the new Coliseum. Now, no looky-lookies as far as, oh, this is what it looks like, and, oh, that's what that looks like, and being able to catch footballs in, in the new stadium and the lights and all of that. And as a head football coach, I would just say to our athletic director, whoever it is, it's our stadium and we need to practice there Yeah. and use the headsets and the whole thing. Don't tell me it's a Ram stadium. It's our stadium. <laughs> They're going to be gone in a year, okay? We need to get ready for our season there. So uh, I hope that happens. And Coach Helton, if you're listening, listen to what I'm telling you because it's very, very important. All right, that's the coach Harvey Hyde. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back. Uh, we're back tomorrow, I believe, Tuesday, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, with uh, Keely Yor and Dan Weber back in studio. Do a little preview, I guess you could say, of uh, USC fall camp. Like we said, talk, starts on uh, Friday. So make sure you uh, listen in, and we do appreciate you listening right now. That's the coach. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.